the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. I read something really disturbing this week. A study released in 2019 in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. It states that one in 10 people with unstage renal disease, which is those who have kidney disease and are on dialysis, undergo a major amputation of one of their legs in their last year of life. Now, it's not clear whether the mobility caused by the amputation led to increased mortality in these cases or whether amputation actually prolonged the life of these patients because of it. Um, Were these patients even given the option to simply be made comfortable at home during their final days and months versus in a hospital and rehab clinic with one last limb, sometimes even Two, you might ask how kidney disease can lead to late gloss, and that's really what we're going to get into during this next hour, as well as how it can be prevented. I mean, I would have to imagine with today's innovation in medicine that there has to be something that people can do to mitigate the risk of limb loss. You know, if you've listened to the show for a while, we talk a lot about peripheral artery disease, which is that plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries that restricts blood flow to the feet, leading to amputation. And a new study by interventional cardiologists at the University of Pennsylvania that was presented at the Society of Interventional Radiology's annual scientific meeting recently really reinforces the conclusion of the previous study, including the one I mentioned, that people with end-stage kidney disease are more likely to undergo lower extremity amputation because of PAD. I know it seems like a lot. We're going to get into it. We're going to break it down. We have Dr. Rotimi Badero. He's an interventional cardionephrologist. It's a very unique combination, and he's here to talk about this really serious issue, which impacts 10% of Medicare fee-for-service spending. So a really powerful hour ahead, John. Indeed. Really powerful hour, yeah. Indeed. Kim, how are you today? I'm doing really well today. It's been a very busy week. Um, I'm so excited. Big news that the Heart of Innovation has been renewed for a second year. Yay, so excited. A big thank you. Yay! to Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated and their patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation, standagainstamputation.com for supporting um, our efforts and our plight to save life and limb and supporting our show. That's that is that's awesome. We have to give them uh, a round of applause 
and actually now that Abbott owns them, Abbott, a round of applause as well, because that could have been a little bit tricky for us with that transition. So it just speaks to the fact that a lot of uh, medical device companies that help us open up these blocked arteries are, are not just in it to sell devices, but they are committed to patient advocacy, education, and um, yeah. kind of just raising awareness. So fantastic. And Another another year. <laughs> Mike, are you just... ready for us? <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. our producer, Mike. Hopefully he'll stick with us for the long term. I hope so. So you got some words of wisdom for us, or do you have anything cool to share from Dr. the week? Dr. John Phillips, spectacular vascular moment of inspiration. <laughs> That's never well, yes. going to get well, there we go. Yes, I digressed for a second. Um, so I was I was doing a, a case where the patient had a really calcified blocked artery, which we see then these in people with renal dysfunction. But at any rate, we had a little perforation, meaning the the wire that I was using poked a hole in the artery. And normally these kind of seal on their own and whatnot, but I was really having a hard time getting it to seal. And so we have these stents that have uh, like a cloth kind of covering on them. They're called covered stents that we can use in the, in the heart arteries. Um, but we're not allowed to use it in the leg. It's this weird kind of, um, just regulation. So I spent about, I don't know, an extra hour closing off this art, this little branch thing. And it, and it got me thinking about, um, sailing and and smooth seas versus choppy seas and then i looked i looked to today's date and aside from being my brother's birthday and tax day which we get a reprieve because i think monday's a holiday and this is a weekend do you know what happened today april 15th 1912 kim 1912 was it something vascular well not really it was when the titanic sank so Yes. So today wow. uh, in 1912, the Titanic sank. And, and it got me thinking about a quote from our president, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he said, a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor. So a lot of the work that we do in people's legs and just in general, I mean, if everything was smooth and went the way it was supposed to, we'd never own our craft. And, and uh, um, you know, this week I ate a little humble pie with that uh, hole in the artery, but we were able to fix it up. And that just kind of got me thinking. So obviously a very sorry, long, long-winded response to your question, but um, that's my quote. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You know what, and I, I think that those doctors who do not shy away uh, from those complex cases, those complex situations, um, those are the ones that become what we call the CLI fighters, the, the critical limb ischemia fighters, the ones who have the most advanced skills and tools and techniques to use to exhaust all efforts to try and save limbs out there. And so the fact that you're out there, you're learning, you're growing, you're facing it head on it is huge. And I'm sure Dr. Rotimi Badera, you're welcome to weigh in and relate. And I'm sure you even, um, you, you want to comment and, and feel for, for John on this one. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, this is something we see all the time. Um, you know, calcium is the enemy. We always say calcium is the enemy of the interventional cardiologists. You know, uh, anytime you have calcified vessels, it's always very tough um, because they're not very pliable and distensible. And, um, you know, and of course, you know, with calcium, you have a lot of plaque burden, uh, which you have to deal with. 
and also throwing busts and and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I can imagine, I can I can relate to what he went through. <laughs> you know, it's that what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, right, Kim? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's why we always tell people, you know, if if you don't have lifestyle limiting claudication and and walking and other lifestyle changes um, aren't smart. If you're not focused on the lifestyle modifications and the medicine therapy and things like that, and you don't, your lifestyle isn't limited, um, you could push through. It's better to push through because once you get in there, there's always risks with any procedure. And so you really don't want to have a procedure if you don't have to, if, it, if it's not really life or limb on the line. Exactly. And and that's why our societies, whether it's a surgical society or an interventional radiology society or cardiology society, we do recommend conservative but aggressive medical therapy and walking programs for folks who have peripheral arterial disease and try to delay any intervention, or at least I do, as as, as long as they can. Yeah. And, you know, you were mentioning, you know, the calcification of the vessels. One of the leading causes of it is um, the health of the kidneys or the lack of health of kidneys. Um, and I'd love to jump into that topic, um, Dr. Badero, and, you know, get to the basics of how the kidneys, the health of the kidneys or the lack thereof can ultimately lead to the calcification of the arteries. Is that a good place to start? Excellent way to start. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, that's an excellent question. Um, so, with, with chronic kidney disease patients, um, you know, they start having calcifications usually from stage three. And stage three is when your GFR is, is usually less than uh, 60, between 60 to 30. Uh, we have 3A and 3B. So what typically happens? GFR. Uh, I just really uh, want to go back, just for those patients who are listening. What is the GFR? Can you explain that? That's your glomerular filtration rate. That is, we say that's your kidney function, how much your kidney is functioning. Mm-hmm. And the normal between 90 to 120, you know. Um, so what typically happens is in patients with chronic kidney disease, um, so in normal subjects, normal people, you have phosphorus and calcium that's in your body that your body gets rid of and, you know, conserves and, and, and they always maintain a steady state. Anything that makes your calcium go up when your phosphorus go up, goes up, then you have calcification. So in patients with chronic kidney disease, um, they start um, holding on to phosphorus. They cannot get rid of phosphorus. As the kidney disease gets worse, they can't get rid of phosphorus. So then they release what's called an FGF23, which is a hormone that's made from the bone. And what it does is it helps to um, for the kidney to excrete the phosphate. Um, but in, the, in, this, in doing that, it also decreases your vitamin D level and absorption in the gut. So what happens is it triggers what we call PTH. So PTH is a hormone. There are four, there are four glands that are in your neck area. And so once it releases that, it absorbs a lot of calcium. So you have a lot of calcium, a lot of PTH that go up in patients with CKD. Now, the other thing that happens is in uh, later stages of chronic kidney disease, that FGF23 I was talking about, the, the, um, the level starts to go up because it doesn't bind because you lose that, what, what's, there's something we call clotho, which is, which is what helps the receptor to bind. So basically, the FGF23 goes up. If the FGF23 goes up, 
then you have your phosphorus. You cannot excrete phosphate, your phosphate, the phosphorus. Your calcium is going up. You have calcifications. So we call that CKD and BD, which is chronic kidney disease, mineral bone disease. So that's one of the problems that chronic kidney disease patients have is by the time you get into your stage three, you start having problems managing your phosphorus, your calcium, your PTH, and then you start having calcifications in extra vas- in vascular spaces and all the other spaces. And also, the FGF23 also affects the myocardium. It causes hypertrophy of left ventricle and heart failure and stroke. So that's the basis of um, calcifications is what happens in chronic kidney patients. And once you have calcifications, it happens in your corners, it happens to peripheral vascular space, and then with calcification, it's going to have a lot of plaque formation. And hey, Timmy, we're going to cut the break real quick. But uh, when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation. So stick with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Happy Tax Day, everybody. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Badero regarding the role of kidney function and development of blockages in the arteries, particularly in the legs. And so, Timmy, as, as we right before we went to break, we were kind of talking about the, the calcification of the arteries. They, they get hard and then that can can lead lead to, to blockages. Um, at least in my experience, when patients have kidney function that's so poor that requires dialysis, their arteries, particularly below the knee, become almost calcified to the point of, of being like like bone. And um, they can develop uh, ulcers that don't heal and, and, and potentially lose some of the piggies and, and then major amputation. So walk us, if you don't mind, through your practice, because you're pretty specialized in the sense that you've done fellowship and renal um, function, so nephrology and, and also cardiology. And so the, the combination of the two mix, and unfortunately, I'm assuming if you're seeing folks that have end-stage renal disease, they often can have blocked arteries and ulcers. And so you're treating both their renal f- disease and and their PAD. So tell us a little bit about, if you don't mind, kind of how that works in your practice down in, uh, is it Mississippi, right? That's great. Yeah. So same, thanks, John. So let me just get, kind of give you some uh, some other background. Like, so we talked about just, you know, from the patient's standpoint. So there's calcium buildup in patients with kidney disease. And when they go on dialysis, it gets, wor- gets worse. Now, the commonest cause of 
kidney disease in the United States is diabetes. The second commonest cause is high blood pressure. And we know diabetes in itself causes peripheral vascular disease, and some of these patients are smokers. So you have the same traditional risk factors that cause kidney disease, mm-hmm. um, but diabetes also causes peripheral vascular disease. So you have an overlap of the risk factors that cause heart disease, causing peripheral vascular disease, plus the calcification things that we talked about. So when you have patients that in uh, CKD3, you have to start checking the PTH level, the vitamin D level, because the vitamin D starts getting low because the vitamin D is uh, primed in the kidneys, right? It's, it's made in the liver, goes into the kidney, it gets activated, let's say it's activated in the kidney. When you have kidney, kidney disease, you lose that enzyme that causes the activation. So your vitamin D always goes low. Once your vitamin D goes low, it triggers the PTH because the PTH wants to you know, absorb the calcium that your heart needs to contract. And so you start having all this derailment. So you have to start checking this and start managing some of these patients, replacing the vitamin D, uh, checking their phosphorus level, make sure you bring the phosphorus down. And then when they do get on dialysis, that's very key. You have to put them all, all these medications, make sure the phosphorus is controlled, make sure the, uh, the PTH is controlled and the calcium is controlled. Because if not, they're going to have a lot of the calcium buildup. So that's one of the things that I do in my practice. And I think a lot of nephrologists will do that. Uh, it's not just about dialyzing the patient. You have to look at all these other things and make sure that um, you're looking at their foot. Um, you know, because the guides, one of the guidelines is that anybody over 65, they need to get an ABI. If you're 50 years old and you smoke, you need to get an ankle brachial index. If you're 50 years old and you're diabetic, you need to get an ankle brachial index. So um, that index of suspicion needs to be there when you're seeing some of those patients because you want to start doing those things early. And if they have an abnormal ankle brachial index, you want to do maybe a duplex scan or something like that, or you start looking at those patients because you want to catch them early. You don't want to catch them when they have an ulcer, and then by the time you go in, the vessels are already calcified and they're you know blocked, and it's very difficult to get them open. So basically, it's just about managing the risk factors for those patients, when you see that, that's what I do for my kidney patients. And I ask them about heart disease because most kidney patients will not die from kidney disease. They die from heart disease. So if you don't ask them about cardiovascular problems or, you know, chest pain or shortness of breath or legs, you know, pain in the legs, claudication, things like that, then you're not going to look for those things and you're going to manage them. So managing their risk factors is not just about managing the, um, the kidney disease, but you also have to ask for the other issues that um, kind of plague them as well. So we already have um, Jackie, who's on here, saying she's been on dialysis for eight years. She already has the intermittent claudication in both legs. Pat has been diagnosed, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, nothing like that. Give her a checklist to go over with her nephrologist to ensure that all I's and T's, I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and she and her, her, her team can actually help mitigate her risks for limb loss down the road. Excellent. So um, basically, um, when she sees a nephrologist, um, she needs to know what a kidney function is. That's the first thing. Uh, she needs to know what a phosphorus level is, a calcium level, a PTH level, and a vitamin D level. want to make sure all those things are taken care of. Now, if she's diabetic, you want to make sure the A1C is less than 7. Make sure your diabetes is controlled. Now, you need to see she's diabetic as well. You, you want to make sure that you see a podiatrist. There was a study that was done uh, recently that looked at, you know, patients, diabetic patients that were getting their food checked every month, and there was a 17% reduction in amputation rates. So um, Really that often? So if you're in, at what point should you start getting 
those monthly checks of your if, fee. If you're diabetic, um, I'm sorry, yeah, go. So if you're diabetic, you need to get a check at least, I would say, every three months. You know, you need to, if you can't do it every month, but you see your podiatrist every three three months and make sure you're getting checked. And you don't want to be cutting your own uh, nails yourself because if you cut and get an ulcer, you know, you might not heal. And sometimes, you know, because diabetes causes neuropathy. And and we know that. And so when patients with diabetes and they step on something, they might not feel the pain because of the neuropathy that they have. And so they might have ulcers underneath their foot. They don't even know it's there. So when you see a podiatrist early, they can look at all the things that they can address them earlier before it becomes a big ulcer that doesn't heal. So we have Susie that has a question. She's had kidney stones also for years on her left kidney, did lithotripsy a couple of times. Uh, can't get her GFR and creatine down. Any advice, any questions she should be asking of her nephrologist or any other doctor? Well, if she's having multiple kidney stones, uh, there are different types of kidney stones. There are calcium phosphorus stones um, and, uh, and, you know, calcium oxalate stone. She wants to know which kind of stone, you know, she has because there are risk factors for that. And uh, depending on the kind of stone, you might have to cut back on the salt intake and do more fluid. Definitely you want to do more fluid, uh, cut back on your salt, depending on the, the kind of uh, stone that she has. Uh, so you want to talk to your doctor and find out which one it is, or talk to your nephrologist and then find out those things that you need to do. Sometimes you might have to cut back on rubor and so some things we eat, you know, appearance and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of the kidney disease, um, it, it depends on what's causing the kidney disease. If it's diabetes, you have to make sure that your diabetes is under control. Also make sure you check the protein in your urine. That's something that's very, very significant because the way diabetes hurts the kidneys is by making a lot of protein, by making... Uh, you lose a lot of protein in the urine. And so when you're losing a lot of protein in the urine, it makes the kidneys um, decline even faster. So if you can take care of your diabetes and make sure you don't, you're not losing a lot of protein in the urine, make sure your blood pressure is under control. And also losing weight is very, very important because uh, obesity itself is an independent risk factor for kidney disease. So you also want to make sure that you lose some weight and uh, make sure that you um, stay from fatty foods and, and things like that. And usually the kidneys will, they might not get worse. See, anybody with diabetes, we know that you're, uh, they're going to have kidney disease eventually. Uh, but what nephrologists do is to slow down the progression of the kidney disease. Instead of it, you know, declining very fast in the last, you know, over the next five years, we want to kind of slow it down. So it took maybe, maybe 15 years and things like that. So um, it might not get Worse. It might not get better, but you want to make sure it doesn't get worse and it doesn't get worse so fast. Fantastic. Well, coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we'll have more with Dr. Otimi Badero talking about our kidneys and PAD. So stay with us. Medical Notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation, and The Weight of My Heart. Dr. George Adams, interventional cardiologist out of Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm with the UNC Rex Hospital System. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, stenting, um, these metallic scaffolds. Uh, that help keep the vessel open. If there's a blockage in one of the leg vessels, we're able to go in there and blow the balloon up and place a stent. The other stent types include ones that you actually unleash and they actually are self-flowering. They're self-expanding stents that keep positive pressure on the vessel, as well as uh, stents, these uh, nitinol scaffolds that have drug on it to help prevent this restenosis, this scar formation that occurs over time. 
And then uh, lastly, uh, there are these covered stents, these stents that actually have a cover on them, and it traps material um, such that we prop it up against the vessel wall and open up this lumen. What's interesting is, is in lieu of these stents, there's been a recent change in philosophy in terms of trying, trying to leave nothing behind. The reason for this is that over time, even with these excellent scaffolds, the inflammatory response is uh, enraged. It's it's uh, it's activated um, over time, and you can prov- you can develop scar formation with these metallic scaffolds. The new philosophy is using devices that have drug on them but leave no metallic scaffold behind. In order to do this, we typically prep the vessel first. We actually rotor-rooter it, as, as people like to say, or use laser atherectomy, or these balloons that have razor blades or, or wires that uh, go around it to score the vessel such that it'll open up appropriately uh, with a balloon post. These new novel devices have drug on them. So they're drug-coated or drug-eluting balloons. For the last five uh, to 10 years, we've been using drug-coated balloons that have paclitaxel. It's the biologic agent on it to prevent the scar formation. But most recently, much like in the coronaries, the drug we use is something called serolimus. We're using that same drug now, recently, uh, on a balloon technology, uh, which is now uh, enrolling patients in the United States and it's under trial investigation. We're very encouraged with this. Uh, Also, in the future, there's going to be bioresorbable scaffolds that also have drugs. So these are not metallic scaffolds, but these scaffolds that are made out of agents that absorb over time. So you're not left with the metallic scaffold. This is Dr. George Adams with this week's medical notepad. Remember, the advice and views offered during this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always ask your own healthcare provider for explicit consent before acting on any information provided here. If you want more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. We are continuing to have a great conversation with Dr. Badero, who is a nephrologist and cardiologist down in Mississippi. We've got lots of questions from our audience and... Kim, let's just let's just continue to see what pay, uh, our folks want to want to know and learn from Dr. Badero. So, uh, Robert, you have a question for Dr. Badero. Hi, Robert. Great to have you on the show, Robert. Robert is also the host of a YouTube channel called Pad Life Outdoors, which is yeah. really cool. Um, Robert, what's your question for Dr. Badero? Well, back a couple of years ago when I had my surgery, uh, the doctors. They were nice enough to nick my kidney while they were in there, which, of course, sent my kidney into shock. And my creatine numbers went up to 7.8. And we settled settled down now to 2.4. But they still considered me at a stage four kidney failure. And I'm trying to find ways to naturally lower that number versus taking more pills. So he had an aortic bifemoral bypass, I believe. Right, Robert? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, good question. I just need to know: Does he uh, does he is he diabetic? Do you have high blood pressure? 
no diabetes, no no high blood pressure. I was a smoker, but I've been I quit smoking two years ago. Did you ever take any of uh, any medications like Aleve, Motrin, Ibuprofen, Advil for a long time? I will, uh, well, I never did it uh, like habitually. Aleve was my go-to because I took Tylenol. When I tried to take Tylenol, it'd never get rid of a headache, but I could take like two Aleve and I'd be, my headache would go away within a few matter of minutes. Everything, so. Right. So but I think, I, so good questions, Robert, and thanks for joining us. I think, I think what happened is, you know, uh, doing the surgery, uh, you know, whatever happened and need the artery, whatever, with the kidneys and the creatinine going up to 7.8 is consistent with acute kidney injury. Um, mm-hmm. you had a, and you had an acute insult in your kidney from the surgery. And then obviously when you went into shock, the, the kidney goes into uh, like a hibernation mode where it kind of conserves as much fluid and volume as possible. And so your creatinine will go up. Now, it, it, it appears to me that you do have an underlying kidney disease because um, if you didn't have any kidney disease and you have an acute kidney injury, uh, the kidney will come back to normal. Uh, mm-hmm. 90% of them will do that, especially if you have what we call acute tumor necrosis, but it will recover. Now, if you went back to 2.4, it means that you have an underlying uh, kidney disease. And if you're not hypertensive and you're, di- you're not diabetic, the other things that can cause kidney disease is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents like Aleve. So if you take Aleve for quite a while, it can damage the kidney. Um, so your credit of 2.4 tells me that you do have a uh, baseline kidney disease. I don't know if you see a nephrologist, but typically you should, and they will do an evaluation. They look at the kidneys, make sure that uh, they're okay, and they will do some blood work, make sure you don't have hepatitis, because that's another thing that can cause kidney disease. Multiple myeloma is also something very common in patients that are over 60 or 65. And so they will do that and check your urine and your blood just to make sure that you don't have all that, because you want to know what's the cause of the kidney disease. Now, in terms of lowering the kidney uh, creatinine, low, I mean, lowering it down, um, Fasiga is also a medication that has been shown. There's a study that was done show that, you know, it's helped uh, lower kidney um, progression of kidney disease in patients with kidney disease. And I've seen that in some of my patients who uh, they start Fasiga and their creatinine actually comes down. So that is something you might want to talk to your nephrology or primary care doctor to start you on if you're not on that already. But uh, suffice to say, it's always uh, uh, important to know the cause of your kidney disease because then you can uh, try to uh, mod- you know uh, modify if if possible and, uh, and um, you know, limit the progression as much as you can. Fantastic, Robert. Does that answer your question? I mean, uh, I'm gonna start with the PA, and they can help me out with that, and uh, we can see what we can do to try to lower these numbers or anything. So. Um, Fantastic. Thank you so much, Robert. And I believe Heinz has a question. Heinz? Hello, Dr. Uh, Badero. A question for you. Can kidney disease be hereditary? And if so, what percentages do you see uh, kidney diseases that are caused by hereditary factors? Wow, that's such a great question. We're going to end this segment on that cliffhanger. So stay with us for the answer when we return. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. 
My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We have a very rare physician with a very rare combination of practices. He's a cardionephrologist, and he really specializes in the strong correlation between kidney issues, kidney health and lack of kidney health, and arterial issues, specifically with peripheral artery disease and also with coronary artery disease. We had Hines, who is a caller into the show, who had a question right before break, wondering if these kidney issues are hereditary and what you can do to mitigate your risk. Dr. Badero? So, uh, Thanks for coming back. So, very good question. Uh, some kidney disease uh, are hereditary. Um, so, the commonest one is uh, the one that has cysts, uh, autosomal uh, polycystic kidney disease, where the uh, the kidneys are just loaded with cysts, which are like fluid collections that you see and makes the kidney a lot bigger, and it causes kidney failure very rapidly. Uh, there are also other forms of kidney disease like Alport syndrome, where, you know, basically affects you have some earring problems as well. And they lose a lot of protein, some nephrotum, um, kidney disease we call, that we call glomerulonephritis, different types of those kind of disease. Um, so as, as a patient, you want to find out if, the, if it runs in your family, especially like a cystic kidney disease, you want to make sure that you're getting a kidney ultrasound, uh, especially in patients that have polycystic kidney disease. The recommendation is they have to get kidney ultrasound at certain periods, like maybe every six months or every 12 months or every two years. You want to make sure that you don't have kidneys if you don't have cysts in the kidneys. And that's different from acquired cysts. I'm talking about right. uh, out of cysts in one or two kidneys. So, and also if you're losing a lot of protein in the urine, there's some tests that it can do to make sure that it's not an inherited kidney disease. Fantastic. We have Patricia who also has a question for yeah. you, Patricia. Hi. Hi, Patricia. Welcome. Where are you calling from? I'm Connecticut. Connecticut. Thanks for joining the show. What's your question yeah. for Dr. Caro? Um, okay, so in 2005, I got diagnosed, you know, it was an emergency with my um, my leg, the femoral closed off, I, I kind of, my foot went cold. And so um, anyway, they sent me for all kinds of tests, the ultrasound, and they did the test that um, with the dye where your whole body gets checked for blockages. 
And they said that I had um, uh, renal stenosis and, you know, the severe blockages in my leg. And so I asked him if it was a problem. I said, I don't have any pain. And he said, don't worry about it unless your blood pressure goes up. So my leg is checked like usually every year or every other year. But they're bothered with my kidney. He never did the vascular surgeon after that. My endocrinologist, he checks my creatinine and everything, and it's always normal. And then he checks for something in my urine, um, maybe albumin or whatever, something that would indicate a problem with the kidney. But so I didn't know if that was true. I should just kind of forget about it. I don't, you know, I have enough problems with my leg without like stressing my kidney, but I just didn't know. Yeah. At what point there is that balance, Dr. Badero, right? Between, um, you know, you know that there's some sort of renal stenosis, you know, there's some sort of blockage, some sort of narrowing with calcification in those arteries that feed the kidneys. But how do you know when to treat, when not to treat? How do you keep an eye on it? How can a patient take their health into their own hands and make sure they're asking the right questions and whether they even need a second opinion from someone who's a specialist in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So excellent question, Patricia. I'm, I'm so glad that you, you got better uh, with your legs. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's good news. <laughs> uh, so with renal artery stenosis in the past, you know, we used to, they used to get fixed all the time, but you mm-hmm. don't, you don't need one kidney. You only need one kidney to survive. Actually, you even need you right. just the kidney to, to survive. So even if one kidney goes down, you can still, mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's the premise for people donating donating kidneys, like kidney donors. So you can donate a kidney. Mm-hmm. So, having said that, you know, if you have renal artery stenosis, the teaching is um, if you're on three, if you need one of three different blood pressure medications to control your blood pressure, one of them has to be a diuretic, which is a fluid pill. If you need more than three to keep your blood pressure down, then you can go ahead and fix. That artery. The other thing is you look at the ultrasound and see the kidney size. If the kidney size is less than maybe eight or seven, then it's an indication to go fix the kidney. Or if your creatinine is getting high, so if you're having uh, renal failure, those are some of the indications to fix renal artery stenosis. But if your kidney is normal size and you're not having kidney failure, your creatinine is normal, and you're not on three uh, antihypertensive medication, then there's no indication to go fix it. So your doctor was correct, yeah. Now, and then what they were checking, like I mentioned before, the albumin is basically the protein in the urine and because that's the earliest sign. So, for example, we say um, kidney disease, the normal GFR is 90 to 120. But even if your GFR is 90 to 120 and you have protein in the urine, that is stage one kidney disease because there's a structural abnormality with your kidneys because your kidneys are not supposed to be spilling out protein. Okay, there's... Um, the way the kidneys, you know, it's, it's built, it has a tight junction. So only water pass, passes out and some other things. You shouldn't have a lot of protein. So when you start seeing protein in the urine, that means the structural integrity of the kidney has been uh, has been disturbed. And so that's stage one. So that's why we, your doctors always check for uh, albumin or, or protein in the kidneys, in the urine. That's fantastic. And, and thank you to everyone who, who has questions. So I'm curious because you talk a lot about the protein in the urine. Um, It's interesting because I'm curious if the protein that you eat or you you consume translates directly into that 
additional or excess protein that your kidneys are not processing it properly. So therefore it's, it's being excreted in excess. I don't know if that's true. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What is the clinical truth? I'm sorry. What's, what's the question again? So someone asked me if the protein they eat, because you know that if you eat too much protein, it can have an impact on the kidneys. Well, um, so basically, if you're if a diabetic, um, like I said, you know, the way diabetes, you know, um, affects the kidneys, it's, it, it disturbs the basement membrane. The basement membrane is one of the things that sieves uh, things from coming out. So it affects the basement membrane and uh, you start to spill protein. Now, if you see protein in the urine in, in any patient that has kidney disease, you know, the more protein you spill in the urine, the faster the kidney goes down. It doesn't mean you're going to stop eating protein. The teaching is you need to reduce your protein intake usually uh, 50 to 60 percent of your weight in kilograms is the recommended daily uh, protein that you restrict. So you have a protein restricted diet to usually 50 to 60 percent of your weight in kilograms because you still want to take protein. You just want to reduce the amount of protein that you take. You don't want to stop taking protein entirely. And then, yeah, you, you. And, then you dis- and then you deal with the cost of the of the protein in the urine because if you don't, it's still going to be spilling out. If you control your diabetes, then the amount of proteinuria that you have, that's protein in the urine, is going to be decreased. And I just think it's a really important point because as people who are diabetic or who are looking for major weight loss, they're being promoted to use the keto diet, which is very high in protein and not everyone understands how to still, you still need balance and that's really important or it could affect the kidneys. Coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we'll have more with Dr. Bedero. so stay with us. You don't want to miss a moment. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We are coming up to the end of the hour, and our wonderful show is almost over. So, Timmy, in a minute or two, give us a couple of bullet points that, that we should take home regarding kidney function and you know cardiovascular health and peripheral arterial disease health. Excellent. Thank you, John. So um, basically, uh, you want to basically modify your risk. Um, you want to make sure your diabetes is under control. Keep your A1C less than seven. Make sure you keep an eye on your diabetes. Make sure you eat less carbohydrates, um, um, less fatty food. If you're, high, if you're hypertensive, you want to keep your blood pressure under control. The target is 130 over 80. Um, if you're diabetic, make sure that your doctor puts you on a specific type of medication called an ACE inhibitor or ARBs. Those uh, protect the kidneys from diabetes. If you're a smoker, you want to stop. If you're obese, you need to lose weight because there's something called obesity-related glomerulomegaly. Obesity in itself can cause kidney disease. The way it does that is it releases a lot of protein in the urine. Um, make sure you check. You see your podiatrist uh, regularly. Make sure to check your foot. Make sure you uh, know your kidney function, know your phosphorus, your calcium level your PTH level. Um, make sure that you get an ankle index check or just, you know, ask your doctor to check to make sure that, you know, I don't have any, you don't have any poor circulation in your foot. If you start having any kind of pain, numbness, and you walk and you're having pain, you, you sit down, the pain goes away, make sure your doctor um, is, is notified quickly. And exercise, exercise, exercise is very, very important. Make sure you keep exercising um, and stop smoking, stop, you know, 
reduce your alcohol intake, stay away from things like Aleve, Motrin, Ibuprofen, Vichy powder, um, Advil. If you have pain, use Tylenol. If you need to use something stronger, talk to your pain, uh, your, your uh, primary care doctor will give you something. But stay from non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents. Also stay from over-the-counter medication. Some of these medications that you take, they're excreted by the kidneys. And if you don't know, um, you know what, what you're taking, it can harm the kidneys as well. That's an excellent summary. That's Kim, really it, no, that's a great point. But Kim, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a, a checklist that we could give patients to kind of make sure they're uh, monitoring and modifying their risks? And, I think the right. That, yeah. that would be amazing. So I'm thinking that we. Um, Aren't you working <laughs> on something Dr. like Piero that? Door, yes. <laughs> we always we, we have checklists. That's really with the way to my heart dot org. That's what we do is we create checklists for everyone to give these patients tangible, actionable information that they can have to have a productive. Kim, that was that was a softball. I threw you a softball and you just hit that out of the park. Well done. (laughs) No, we really appreciate you, Dr. Badero, you know, for being here and just to give some people encouragement as we close out. Is it possible we started the show with saying limb loss in the final stages of kidney disease or end-state or renal, renal disease, they end up with a, a limb loss. Can they mitigate their risk? Yes or no? Oh, yes, they, they can. And let me just say this real quick. You know, uh, if you look at Medicare studies and, and Medicare data, um, from 1991 to 2000, so from, sorry, from 1991 to 1994, there was a 69% increase in you know, limb amputation. From 2001 to 2014, there was a 51% reduction in Perfect. in amputation rate. And that was driven uh, majorly by above knee amputation and below knee amputation. And so it, we're seeing a trend in reduction in amputation good. rate. So that's, that's good news for the patients to know. Good news. Okay. Thank you. Yes. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.